I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're going to be talking about Harry Styles' debut album and the Netflix adaptation of Anne of Green Gables. We've also read Olivia Sudchik's novel Sympathy, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. So thanks so much, everyone who made it down to our Twin Peaks quiz a week ago. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was really, really good. Highlights include Caroline's homemade cherry pie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the winning team seemed pretty pleased with that. Yeah, they ate it all. It was kind of an improvised thing because it turns out really hard to buy cherry pie in the UK. I went to a lot of shops and you could get apple pie and like cherry crumble, but not cherry pie. Yeah, well, they did. The winning team did eat the whole pie. So I assume it was pretty good. Um, And yeah, it was great fun. And do keep coming to our quizzes because they're literally some of the highlights of my social calendar. Yeah, we're going to have another one in two months' time. So yeah, stay tuned and watch this space. Shortly be announcing what the theme for that will be. There's been a bit of good news picking up on something that we talked about on the podcast two weeks ago, I Mm want to say, which is The Handmaid's Tale now has a UK distributor. It's going to be on Channel 4. Everyone who had been jealously watching people on social media in America talk about it will now be able to watch it for themselves. We also had a very funny reference in an email from Thomas, who said, I am loving The Handmaid's Tale, even if it is getting very tiring and costly flying to America each week to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. So good. So I wanted to mention Master of None again, which we talked about last week, Mm. because I like raced through the rest of Master of None in the past week. And I was like mildly positive about it, I think, last week. And now I'm like, oh, my God, it was a complete triumph. Uh, okay. The episodes get like weirder and more confident as it goes on. You get quite a few episodes that sort of stay away from Dev and Dev's storyline and are actually just about like random people or like his friends or some like minor characters, which are really, really cool. And then the final two episodes of the series are like amazing and cinematic and like really emotional. And I was like completely in love with those. This sounds so interesting. I haven't had the chance to watch any more of it, although I am intending to. That's so interesting given that. Do the episodes still stay at their short length of like 20, 25 minutes each? Pretty much. But then the penultimate episode, I think, is almost an hour and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. And it is like a movie. I know that's always like a cheap line that people say about TV to try and like make it seem more prestigious when actually, why should it be any less prestigious? But there's just something about the narrative of it that really pulls you in like a big vintage romance movie. It's great. Oh, this sounds incredible. Can't wait. Yeah. 
So should we roll on with the show? Yeah, let's get going because we have something very exciting to talk about next. Very, very important, big cultural milestone this week, ladies and gents. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, of course, Harry Styles. On Friday, 12th of May, 2017, the former One Direction star Harry Styles released his first solo album titled simply Harry Styles. It's 10 classic rock influence tracks clock in at just over 40 minutes and it's gone with all this sort of like pink branding um and it's just yeah really exciting to finally get his debut album for me and you had a very exciting harry styles weekend as well which i I think you should tell us about a harry styles packed week so shall i just go in from the top (laughs) (laughs) so on thursday night i went to a screening of an apple music documentary made about harry styles making this album called harry styles colon behind the album i went with a friend who's also a music journalist and we sort of like totted up to this notting hill cinema had to queue there was loads of security we like got we took some photos with like the big billboards of harry's face and stuff like that went in there were lots of fans there fans who i have like seen around at one direction things in the past they were like oh there might be a message from harry we were like knocking our champagne back like whatever play the message and then he just came into the room <laughs> like no joke there was like 40 of us in this the tiny cinema and harry starts just like walked out in front of us and me and my friend like couldn't go <laughs> we were like oh my god oh my god that's him in his like human corporeal form um and then he like introduced the the doc a bit and then he just stayed to watch the doc with us so i was sort of doing this weird thing where i had like one eye on the documentary mm. and the the other eye on like human being harry styles which was very difficult for me to comprehend as i'm sure you can imagine i had a very strange but and not in any way equivalent experience when <laughs> i went to see um, i'm like trying to think who it's gonna be who's uh, the who's the character well so i i don't i don't care about this person but the same like weird like half your brain on one thing when i went to see andrew hagan read his very very long essay about his involvement with julian assange and wikileaks oh, yeah, yeah. and randomly just before he started benedict cumberbatch like came oh, out of shit. a side door and sat right in the middle row like literally in in, in front of me right in front of andrew hagan and afterwards apparently someone told me that it was he was researching his role in that terrible film oh, Sange, and that's why he was there but the whole time i was like hey why is he there b the back of his neck is really strange looking and See, I now can't concentrate on this lecture because like actual Sherlock is sitting right in front of me. Yeah, the only equivalent that I have for this kind of thing is like going to plays, mm. opening nights, press nights of plays where like friends and family of the actors come along and then like other actors they know and that kind of thing. But yeah, so that was super weird. And then I like tried to keep my cool throughout that. Then the next day, let, let it be known that I work very hard at my job. Okay, everyone, <laughs> before I admit this, I snuck out of work at like 5.45 left a full 15 minutes early and uh, went and stood outside BBC Broadcasting House and watched Harry Styles perform Sweet Creature, one of the songs off his new album outside of The One Show, because he was on The One Show, which again, a lot of the same faces that I've seen around a lot and like everyone having a great time. The atmosphere is always amazing at these things. So that was really fun. And then on Saturday night, the real like crown jewel of my three consecutive seeing Harry Styles in person days this week it was his first solo gig which was at the garage in Highbury and Islington and I think they sold something like 200 tickets a friend of the show Laura Snapes who we've mentioned a few times he's a great writer she She was on our Gilmore Girls special she was on our Gilmore Girls special and yeah we love her work she was going as a journalist and she refused her place so that they would let me go 
Isn't that the nicest thing you've ever heard? Yes. <laughs> Doesn't it just bring a tear to your eye? That's eyes? like the modern equivalent of someone like lying down in a puddle so that you can cross. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I was very, very uh, heartwarmed. And then we were kind of hoping she would get in, but she didn't. So that was kind of sad. But yeah, the gig itself was amazing. I feel like the out I, I like the album it's probably not an album that i would be like super excited about if it was by somebody else mm. but i do really like it but seeing it live was like a whole nother thing mm. it just worked so amazingly well live his charisma is obviously so important to who he is as like a brand and that just really like spilled forth in the most like incredible way and then he also did a kanye west cover I love Kanye West. That was kind of weird. He did like a very slow down ultralight beam thing. Ah, interesting. And my personal highlight of the night, he covered Stockholm Syndrome. A one, well, didn't cover it because he, he kind of wrote it. It's a One Direction song that he has a writing credit on. Like some other journalist that I was with started to be like, she's a bit of a fangirl. And I was like, hey, I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I'm just saying you're a fangirl, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, fair. <laughs> but yeah, I had a great time. So that was amazing. And I've like got now this like enormous pink Harry Styles poster in my bedroom that they were giving out on the door of the gig. So what a whirlwind three days. <laughs> I feel like your experience has probably mainly been listening to the album. Yes, I just listened to the album on repeat for a four hour train journey. What do you reckon? And I really, really like it. Yeah, I find it really enjoyable. Yeah, it's not at all what... I think I was expecting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a bit of a a hint after Sign of the Times came out and it was, and Sign of the Times was this kind of seven minute rock infused ballad about the apocalypse. Mm. And I was like, ah, interesting, Harry. Mm. Where are you going with this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, where he's going with this is this very kind of bluesy rock tinged, slightly slower pop style. Mm. Lots of quite raw emotional vocals lots of interesting instruments so some it's it's obviously a very well produced album but they've left some of the guitar sounds and stuff quite raw mm. um so it does occasionally sound like you know something you'd hear in a small venue from a small new band as opposed to like exactly. one of the world's biggest pop stars yeah and yeah it's it's a really really nice aesthetic and one that i can yeah see myself enjoying for many years to come it's interesting that his solo debut has slightly coincided with the return of miley cyrus another kind of young pop idol but the difference could not be more obvious because she's someone who sheds musical personas like a snake's shed skin yeah, yeah, you know definitely. none of them feel serious or really invested for her because she just you know becomes a new style and a new yeah, thing like for each album. On a wig or whatever, yeah. putting on a wig becoming country becoming hip-hop whatever mm -hmm. she whereas i really hope and i do believe that this is sincere from harry styles that this is the music that he wants to make right now exactly i so agree and like some of it i find embarrassing <laughs> you know like sometimes you can tell that this is like these are the lyrics written by a kind of like horny 23 year old <laughs> rather than like you know a polished like 47 year old professional songwriter who's trying to get inside the head of like teenagers which is essentially what a lot of one direction lyrics were instead you get these kind of like weird lyrics about like masturbating or like sometimes like vaguely massage lyrics about mm. women and and it's all a bit like oh harry this is a little a little piece of you that we just didn't <laughs> weren't really getting before and i do think one thing you can say about the lyrics is that it, all these songs are very catchy and you do feel like you've heard them before or like you know the words quite quickly and i think that probably comes out of the fact that he said a few times he just wrote them really fast and like didn't play around with them very much so they've got that instinctive element 
whether you like think they're like amazing poetry or not at at least you can tell that they're like pretty fucking genuine (laughs) yeah so I don't think he's gonna win any prizes for writing lyrics right now but I just keep coming back to his voice his voice is amazing it's absolutely amazing and I didn't expect it and he's got so much personality in his voice and a lot of his charisma i think comes through in his singing voice and it's just really good like it's just a really good singing Mm. voice and we should talk a bit about the narrative that surrounded the release of this album which is former boy band star sheds bubblegum pop Mm. for serious rock influence Mm. and you've written quite a lot about how this is just total (laughs) blowny well i think if you're a super like diehard one direction fan you know that the last couple of one direction album sounded not hugely dissimilar to this like this is still a bit more it's a lot more ragged around the edges and like playful and it's not as structured as like one direction music is but one direction music was still very guitar influenced like i read a piece by peter from pop justice who said recently that the very first note of the very first one direction single came on a guitar and that was sort of their thing from the beginning Mm. was like here's a boy band but it's guitar music I don't think it's like necessarily 100% accurate to say, oh yeah, this like bubblegum teen pop band, suddenly he's now leaving that behind to like play guitars and like sing about like raunchy things because raunchy lyrics and guitar music were like two of the main hallmarks of those later One Direction Mm. albums for me. And Harry Styles himself has refuted this narrative by basically saying that what I'm doing now grew out of what I did then Mm -hmm. and he had this amazing paragraph in a Rolling Stone interview where he was saying like you know the fans that I have for One Direction are the fans I love and the fans that I Mm -hmm. respect and will continue to have absolutely and that really warms my heart because I mean this is like a kind of weird diversiony thing to say but I have been a super fan of like different um male celebrities and then at some point they let you down Mm. right We've all been there. I don't feel like I even need to name specific names, but you worry sometimes about that when you're like a fan of somebody like, are they going to let you down? But I think what that those Rolling Stone quotes and another quote in the documentary reminded me of how much I love Harry Styles fans. And that's so important to me because there's this whole bit in the documentary where he talks about how being in One Direction was a great experience for him and like, he doesn't feel like he ha- he was faking it. He like had a great time and like he doesn't think he should have to apologize for like coming from a boy band. And that was so important to all the fans in the room. They were like screaming and I like shed a little tear because I was mm. like, oh, this is just a great fandom. And that's what makes him a special artist for me, regardless of other things. Mm. I also just wanted, before we wrap up on this, to call back to our very first episode Oh yeah, where we talked about One Direction. We talked about One Direction. And because before that, I was obviously aware of One Direction and had heard some of their songs because you couldn't be alive in Britain and you hadn't. But I'd never probably listened to them. And after our very first recommend, you made me a One Direction playlist. (laughs) I did. Which I still listen to It's a great playlist. It's a really great playlist. (laughs) We will reshare the link to that playlist because it is excellent. Yeah. And yeah, so the journey of Seriously for me has definitely been the journey of learning learning and loving One Direction. Yeah, and... One Direction have been actually a part of my life for a really long time, which like sounds stupid because I was like one of the older fans, I think probably when they first started to to go big. But yeah, it feels like coming full circle to me to see Harry like talking about that experience and not being ashamed of it. It's really like cool. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now we're going to talk about Anne with an E, which is a new Netflix adaptation of the 1908 novel Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery, which is about the life of Anne Shirley, a young red-headed orphan on Prince Edward Island in northeast Canada. This adaptation is written and produced by Maura Wally-Beckett, who worked on Breaking Bad, and stars Amy Beth McNulty, R.H. Thompson and Geraldine James. Yeah, so I am a Anne of Green Gables newcomer. I have never read that series of books, but I get the impression, and I'm sure you can clarify for me, that people who have have grown up with it are really really passionate about it yes i don't think it's anywhere near as 
big a fandom as Harry Potter, but mm. I and people I know who read the books, when especially girls when they were young, have an equivalent attachment to it as a canon because there are eight, ten Anne books altogether. Mm. You know, you first meet her when she's, you know, 11 or 12 and you sort of see her all the way through growing up, going to college, getting married, having her own children. So you really feel invested in her life and her world. In my head, they sort of exist in a like what Katie did slash secret garden slash a little princess space. Is that kind of right? Because I loved all those books growing up. Those were all the books I read at the same time. So yeah, you definitely, in terms of stories about young women having adventures, etc., they all they all exist in the same space and are for roughly the same age group. I think maybe what sets Anne of Green Gables slightly apart from them is the setting. You know, mm. they're set on Prince Edward Island, the early 20th century, which is a, it's one of the maritime provinces of Canada. So it's an island on its own. So like later in the series, when she goes to college, she has to go to college like on another island. Mm. And it's a really big deal for her not to you know, be in the place where she's grown up and where she's, you know, finally had a loving family, etc. Yeah, so this adaptation, is it faithful to what you remember for the book? No, it's not at all. But then we weren't really expecting it to be. I'd kind of followed the news about this adaptation for a while. And basically, the writer had said very early on that she didn't want to try and make a faithful adaptation. A, because that's already been tried. These are books that have been adapted a lot. Mm. There's a very famous and very well-loved 1985 series of TV movies called Anne of Green Gables and then Anne of Avonlea that are a lot more faithful to the events of the book and everyone my age fancies Gilbert Blythe from that you know (laughs) it was very much a cultural thing Mm. and she sort of said that she wanted to try and do something different in a serialized form hence not calling it Anne of Green Gables yeah that's a big like tip-off isn't it yeah so there's a strand of canonical plot events in this from the really basic ones of the names of the characters and the setting to the fact that you know Anne is an orphan who's being adopted by an older brother and sister the confusion about them wanting to adopt a boy and then a girl turning up that's all in the books I've watched five of the seven episodes now various of the events as you go along often the more minor events are taken from the book Mm. but the bigger plot arcs are new right so that first episode is is the only one I've seen which for me was very much just setting the scene in terms of what to expect from the rest of this season. It's just all about whether or not this brother and sister, as you say, are going to adopt her when there's been this confusion about them wanting a boy and etc. And when she's sort of a little larger than life than they perhaps expected. Obviously, if you know that this is an adaptation of Anne of Green Gables, you know that that's all going to be fine. So the stakes are very low in that episode, but it's more, I guess, about giving you a sense of like her background there's like quite a lot of flashbacks I don't know if that is like grimmer than the books much more so a lot of the commentary about this series and it's been from what I can tell quite positively reviewed has been it's essentially Anne of Green Gables but with PTSD Mm. because although there are descriptions in the book and hints at how horrible her life was before she came to Green Gables there's no extended description and I think after the first book essentially you don't really hear much about it Mm. so the fact that they've chosen to kind of incorporate that more strongly into her character and actually show you flashbacks to like the actual abuse that she suffered in her previous foster homes and stuff mm. is quite a big departure. Yeah. But I think I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I think it works because I also think there's something difficult with these particular sorts of characters. So Anne is a bookworm, imaginative, chatty, precocious, huge vocabulary, over-intelligent kid. 
and tomboyish. I think that is a character that we see in so many young adult um, mm. books, especially maybe sort of older ones. Like she seems like a Joe from Little Women sort of figure. Yeah, and exactly. I know that if I'd read these books as a young kid, I would have identified with her and loved her and just like been like, oh, this is me in that sort of almost arrogance of like being a kid and seeing yourself on the page. But as an adult to watch, very annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's really good that they incorporate this like this is a girl who's like had really terrible hardships so you're not just sat there like oh my god will she shut up she's so annoying (laughs) yeah exactly and they've also I feel like amplified more of the community discussion about what it means for her to be an orphan Mm, definitely and what it means for a childless woman and her brother to adopt Mm-hmm. an orphan so there's for instance in a later episode marilla who's a new mum gets invited by some of the younger mums in the village to go to their progressive parenting group where they're, they're all the mothers of daughters and they're discussing how you know they want their daughters to go to university and all of this kind of stuff and then Anne goes for her first day at school and she without knowing it she makes a kind of faux pas in that there's some sort of discussion of like what is sex etc and and just like explains it to them because she's had a really difficult life Mm. she's seen some stuff Mm. and she tells them about it in fairly horrible terms and all the other mothers in the group then ban marilla from coming because they're like your daughter you know she she's a dirty mouth she can't she's not acceptable she'll pollute them and marilla gets furious Mm. and so all of that none of that's in the book but it's all completely, to me anyway, plausible within the framework of the book. It's just exploring, as you say, issues that the adult viewer or reader would want to see that Definitely. children don't really care about. So it's still, in your mind, sort of true to the spirit of the the novels. Yeah. It's just taking it up a notch for a kind of slightly older audience. I have seen some spoilery discussion of something that happens later on in the series that mm. some fans feel very strongly is out of character. For Anne. No, for Matthew, for her for oh, her yeah. new dad. Mm. But I haven't seen that yet, so I'm not going to comment on it. But there was a fairly furious piece published on Vogue.com. Oh, that really? was basically saying Matthew would never behave like this. Oh my this. God, splits in the Anne of Green Gables yeah. fandom. So I live for it. <laughs> so it's not in any way receiving a kind of universal approval from super fans. But all I can say is so far, personally, I feel like the writer is making the characters behave in the way that they would even if the events she's portraying were not in the books okay cool well maybe we'll come back to it next week if you see it and have like a Mm. sudden change of heart yes So last week we agreed we'd look at Sympathy by Olivia Sujic, um, which is a debut novel and it's all about sort of basically becoming obsessed with someone via Instagram and then trying to be friends with them in real life. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I'd say that's an accurate summary. It's such an intense novel, like reading it is a really, I found a really immersive and 
almost quite feverish experience. It definitely opens in that vein, doesn't it? It sort of opens with a description of Alice, the lead character, almost, yeah, like in a sweat, unfollowing this girl on Instagram, or she has recently unfollowed this girl on Instagram, and she's like trying to decide whether to like request to refollow or not, or whether that's like too humiliating. And she discusses how when she does request to refollow, the object of her desire has changed her privacy settings and so she has to wait and she describes the white wall on her phone the barrier Mm. between her and all of the pictures that she wants to be able to see yeah exactly and I think it's quite easy when we're describing this book if you've not read any of it to imagine in your head a sort of quite like fun very accessible piece of writing Mm. and it's very literary right very literary actually what it reminded me of most was the goldfinch by donna tart oh i haven't read that and everyone's always telling me to read it which i don't think is anywhere near as amazing as everyone says right but i found it to be a very enjoyable page turner like i raced through it on holiday but it is very much i don't know there are so many parallels with it it's a lot longer than sympathy and it has a lot more locations and scenes but the section that this reminded me so much of is the first section in new york where the protagonist is um just to give you a very very brief summary um he goes to the the met with his mum, and then there's a terrorist attack and the muse- bit of the museum he's in is blown up and his mum is killed and he ends up living this kind of slightly wandering life but he's obsessed with beautiful objects the goldfinch mm. is a painting that he sees in the museum and he in the course of this accident he meets this girl and her sort of older protector friend of the family and basically becomes obsessed with this girl and the whole rest of the book is about how he's convinced that if he can only make himself worthy of the beautiful objects he'll be worthy of her too Mm. and I felt very strongly both in its setting in New York and its sort of literariness and also in its kind of obsession with the an, an, an unobtainable individual yeah that this was like that well I also was quite struck by the kind of like fetishistic aspects of it where it's like oh she reads Joan Didion and she wears culottes and mules and all these things that are just so what kind of trendy women online do mm. it's very aware of those trends and those like societal norms basically especially for like you know self-defining intelligent as well as trendy young women. We've talked about Joan Didion and her like relationship with millennial women quite a lot have on seriously and referenced that Hayley Blotek piece that mm. was really good from the hairpin. So there's a lot of that in there. For me, the best bits of this book and also almost the worst bits of this book are the bits that are actually about the experience of being online because Yes, exactly. Really you just connect with them so much because they're so relatable, especially about the like all the kind of like negative feelings that can be involved in like stalking someone online. Yeah, there was this one line that she I think it comes fairly early on when she's Alice is talking about when she actually first met Mizuko and she says she didn't know me at all and that felt unreasonable and surprising (laughs) yeah and that's so representative of the imbalance of information you get when you've been so invested in someone online because you know everything about them or at least you think you do you know everything about what they've put out on social media and then if you do ever actually meet them in person it's a very weird dynamic to have them say oh yeah I went on holiday there and for you to just say I know yeah exactly how do you begin to navigate that there's a bit where she says something like 
I already knew what all her favorite things were and all her favorite places. So I mentioned them first, Mm. which is like such a weird way to sort of like convince someone that you have stuff in common, but also something I think almost everyone I know has probably done at some point. So even, I mean, I find myself doing this in a much more low level way with like journalists who I sort of consider to be colleagues at other publications don't really know them that well but I spend all day on Twitter sort of with them if you actually meet up with them in real life I find myself pretending that I don't know about that stuff I haven't read things that they've read so that they can tell me about it so as not to like nuke normal social interaction <laughs> yeah you don't want to burst the bubble too yeah. much and there are some things yeah she says like I thought she was quite good on the way that um and this isn't something that's necessarily particularly pertinent to like the last 10 years but the way in which images and photographs can alter your memory so Mm. there's a bit where she's like when I try and remember what Mizuko looked like without think without using pictures for references I try and think about her outline first and then I move inwards and try and think about her jewelry or her silhouette and stuff like that and those sort of mind tricks you play on yourself but for me sometimes this did fall into kind of like traps of like online bad (laughs) yes there'll be moments where she says like posting pictures on Instagram was like bursting bubble wrap or pulling out a hair follicle and you're like okay cool that's like what a lot of people might say but then it kind of goes up a notch into there's almost no positive things that come out of this character's relationship with the internet and with other people through the internet yeah I was quite disappointed by that because I was I feel like Jonathan Franzen has very much set the tone for literary New Yorkie novels as having to be place themselves in opposition to the internet and to online life and I was sort of hoping that especially because this book is getting quite a lot of critical acclaim and the author's debut has been very anticipated and stuff Mm. that she was going to be able to change that conversation and be like no look I've written a really literary New York novel that concludes that the internet's just a fact of life and narratives can be shaped around it they don't have to be good or bad but that's not really what this is yeah and there's sort of a vague idea that like the connections you make online are always fundamentally fake because they're so curated. Mm. And it is true that a lot of them are very curated in some ways, but I've also made like human friends via the internet that I will now see in person and have a great time with and feel that I have a very genuine connection with. And there's a line about the grandmother of the main character pulls out a box of stuff that's her parents' stuff and she's going through this physical box of stuff and finds it so personal that she becomes almost repulsed and overwhelmed. And I think it's meant to be some sort of on how she's very used to stalking but not actually used to anything personal or really Mm. representative of a person and there's a bit in in the like blurb of the book she sort of summed the author sort of sums up the book and she says like my protagonist alice i'm on the cusp of a generation that appears increasingly disconnected from reality locked into our fantasy lives filter bubbles and secret algorithms living in an era that is post-truth while deluding ourselves that we are connecting controlling choosing which for me is very black and white negative Mm. um in a way that I sort of wasn't expecting this this book to be because it is kind of pulling you in even with its cover and with its subject matter about saying like this is about your life your online life and I'm like yeah it kind of is but also I I have a lot of like positive relationships (laughs) yes but I'm into like obsession and stalking and these kinds of themes and we I feel like we talk about them quite a lot and seriously so there was a lot in there that I really enjoyed as well yeah so if any seriously listeners are reading this book we would be so interested to hear your thoughts Mm -hmm. Um, as citizens of the internet. What do you think? So what are we going to do next week, Caroline? Well, I thought we might not relinquish our Twin Peaks related obsessions quite yet. The quiz is over. Our excessive binge watching of the show in order to write (laughs) the quiz is complete, but we can still spend a bit more time with David Lynch before the new series comes out. Okay. 
in the form of his 2001 film Mulholland Drive. Oh, uh, I've never seen this movie and I hear so much about it all the time. So I saw it for the first time last Sunday. Loads of cinemas in London, I'm sure all over the place, have been screening it, I think, because the third series of Twin Peaks does start really soon and Mulholland Drive gets described a lot as a neo-noir film. Mm. And so I think it's kind of in roughly the same zone as Twin Peaks, yeah. although made, you know, 10, 11 years later. I don't want to tell you too much about it because I think you should just go in knowing nothing. But I it, love to do that with stuff. But it stars Naomi Watts and a load of other people. And it's very strange. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. It's very, very strange. Very strange. It's a it's about I was film. expecting it to be very normal and mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> As you would expect from a, a film with that title, it's a film about Hollywood yeah. and cinema and films and the kind of horrible twisted things that can happen. So I'm expecting a La La Land style romp. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's probably, I think someone somewhere wrote, or maybe I, maybe I made stuff in my head, I can't remember. It. It's basically like, la la land through a glass darkly if you know what i mean it's okay. like the the dark timeline version <laughs> i love of la, la land i'm so there thanks for listening to this episode of seriously the pop culture podcast from the new statesman if you enjoyed the show why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode we're available in all the usual places you get podcasts including itunes where you could also leave us a review if you'd like at our website seriouslypod.com you can find all our back episodes plus our specials on home alone gilmore girls harry potter love actually and friends we're available many other places on the internet including on twitter facebook and tumblr we're seriously pod on all of them we love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've discussed get in touch on social media or email us at seriouslypod at gmail.com and if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.